0: sang a bit too hard on that last song. I need some water. I've seen a lot of posts on my social media this past week about what 2016 was like for many of my friends and family. And I really enjoyed hearing some of their reflections. So I wanted to give you some of mine. For me, 2016 started in seminary and ended with a job, thanks be to God. After three semesters of commuting, once Eric and I were married in December of 2014, I officially moved in with him in May after graduating. So it's crazy living with your spouse. It's much better than commuting. In April, I had the really incredible honor of being with my grandpa when he died after an uphill battle with Alzheimer's. I felt a lot in that moment, but more than anything, I know that it will always stand as one of the holiest moments in my life. In June, I went to General Synod, which was an adventure. I got vertigo in July, which was another adventure, after returning from a family trip to Colorado. I started working here in August. I got ordained in September at my home church. I got installed here in October, and now all I do in my life is church, and it is so, so good. So as this new year begins, I am grateful for a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and for the consistency of the Word of God as we gather together to worship. With that being said, will you pray with me? God, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Christ our utmost concern. Amen. Hebrews is a hard book of the Bible for me to find because I think it's in the Old Testament because Hebrew makes me think Old Testament, but it's not. So I'll give you the page number because I know I would not want to have to find Hebrews really quickly. So in your pew Bible, it's on page 1,289. Page 1,289. And our text this morning comes from the second chapter, from Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the season of Advent, we anticipate Jesus. We wait. At Christmas, we meet Jesus. And with the new year, we celebrate the coming together of God and of humanity through the person of Jesus. That is, we remember the specific mystery called the incarnation, the coming together of God and of humanity. Each step, the step of Advent, of Christmas, and now this moment of epiphany, brings us closer to God's character, to God's will, to God's intentions for us. The author of the book of Hebrews believes that Christians have direct access to God through Christ, which is outlined in the opening words of the letter. It reads, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things. The son is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very being. The message version says that Jesus perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. When people used to hear from God, it was through some sort of third-party mediator, a prophet or priest who had been given the word from the Lord to be shared with the people. But because of Jesus, now people can talk, follow, be directly with God because God came close. This isn't new information to you. We know that in the incarnation, in the coming together of God and of humanity, humanity, God communicated a desire to be near to us. Our entire Christian narrative is postured on that fact, that God would gather us in as Gentiles and walk among us. We need the incarnation because if Jesus didn't come as a physical being, how would we know that truly every aspect of who we are is redeemed? Madeline Le Engel, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, Madeline Le Engel, who wrote young adult fiction that presented her Christian faith and a strong interest in modern science, she once said, There is nothing so secular that it cannot be sacred, and that is one of the deepest messages of the Incarnation. I have to say that I absolutely agree with her. We learn from the incarnation that nothing is too irredeemable or messed up for God. Nothing is too far gone or too spoiled or too gross. As the writer of Hebrews says in our text this morning, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. I know that I know this. I know that you know this, but I wonder if you live like you know this. Something to ponder as you head into 2017. Do you remember in everything that you say and do that God is in the room with you? Do you remember that God made you holy to be a blessing to others? Do you remember that you and that other are of the same family? At the start of a new year, I find myself drawn to this passage, specifically because of this verse. And I'd like you to think about it with me. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Just that piece. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. There is no room in the gospel for shame. There's some room for guilt, but there's not room for shame. Brene Brown says that guilt means I did something bad. That shame says I am something bad. I did something bad versus I am something bad. I believe that guilt can be evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Evidence that there was a line there and I crossed it. And God is calling me to protect that boundary so that I might live abundantly. I'll give you a very adorable example from my childhood to support this idea. I really strongly remember one of the first times I ever felt very guilty. I was in first grade, and I had a raging crush on a fellow first grade kid. His name was John. We shared a crayon box during art time, and over that crayon box, we enjoyed some riveting first grade conversation, like how much we loved mac and cheese and recess. One day, with John, he and I began talking about our favorite Disney movies, Being a man of excellent taste, John said his favorite Disney movie was Aladdin. Before I could even think twice about it, I said this to John, did you know that I'm the voice of Jasmine and Aladdin? (laughs) Instantly, I remember being flooded with embarrassment because one, who would ever believe that? Who would ever believe that I was the voice of Jasmine and Aladdin? I think it came out before I was born. And two, it was a complete, blatant lie. I knew that I had lied to John. I knew that right away, and I knew that that was wrong. But before I could take it back or apologize to John, John said to me in all his first-grade innocence, Really? You were? Wow, that's so cool. And suddenly I wasn't so keen on correcting the lie because John was into me. That feeling that I had, I've come to label as guilt. That feeling of, yuck, that was not okay for me to do. I see that as God working in me. But unfortunately, I've ignored that feeling many times because I learned, I'm sure as most of you do, that sometimes lying gets you what you want or gets you out of trouble. However, some of the most healing moments of my life have been when I came to God with my experience of guilt and sought his forgiveness and wisdom. The guilt that I feel comes from the tension of being called to holiness while making decisions that contradict my call to holiness. Too much guilt is legalism. That pushes a moralism that hides God's grace behind rules and exceptions and privilege. But that's not the guilt that I'm talking about. That healthy sense of guilt, that I'm a sinner and I know I'm in need of a savior, guilt. As Brene Brown would say, the I'm hardwired to mess up, but I'm worthy of love and acceptance, guilt. That can be the work of the Spirit in our hearts. So let's not confuse guilt and shame. It's the difference between something you do and something that you think you are. Guilt can bring you to repentance, but shame only lies to you. Shame says you are not worthy of love and connection because of that. Shame says you aren't allowed to be weak and that you're never allowed to crack under the pressure. Shame says you're ugly, fat, stupid, worthless, too young, too old, too unprepared, too much of a perfectionist, you fill in the blank. We all have a bit of shame, but the less you talk about it and the more you ignore it, the more you have it. Shame is like mold and it grows crazy when it's left in the dark. Shame rears its ugly head in every nook and cranny of existence and it's incredibly adaptable. We carry shame about our age, our weight, our race, our gender, our sexual orientation, our job, Our relationships, our family history, our socioeconomic status, our political party, our faith, our successes, and our failures. And then, on top of all that shame, we carry shame about how to carry the shame or how we carry the shame of others. We are ashamed about not having enough time or not making the time or not giving time. We try to relieve some of that shame by making quick, self deprecating comments. Or passing blame on external factors instead of engaging the root of it in our person. We all know shame. I can notice within myself and in conversation with others that shame enters slyly through the back door when the new year comes around. At the beginning of a new year, we talk about the things we want to do differently or the way we hope to be when the next September hits. We want to lose weight, to read the Bible more, to pray better, maybe give up caffeine, make time for your hobbies, surrender an addiction, be more organized, find your significant other, move out, learn to speak up more or talk less, read the newspaper daily, start journaling or blogging, be more punctual. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to just up and change at the beginning of the year. Shame gives us the new year excuse and then slowly knocks us down a few notches when the busyness inevitably returns You miss a day at the gym and shame tells you that your body will always be unattractive You go to sleep instead of prepping for the next day and shame tells you you will never get it together You open your bible and you feel overwhelmed by a confusing text And shame tells you you'll never understand don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you can't set goals for yourself in 2017. I'm not saying that you shouldn't care for your body or build better habits that will allow you to live abundantly. I'm not saying that you shouldn't exercise self-awareness and listen for where and how God is calling you to care for yourself. What I am saying is that it's wise to watch out for shame. Shame tells you that you are not enough until you've reached something else, until you look different, act different, or what have you. But shame tricks you because even when you get there, shame tells you it's not good enough. But Jesus tells us that we are his family now, just as you are, even when you come with shame. Here's some selections from the text again. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. He is able to help those who are being tempted. We are held by the fear of death, but because of Christ we are free. Because Jesus was made like us, fully human in every way, he is able to help us. Jesus sees our shame, and Jesus asks us to be defined by him, not by the shame. Jesus doesn't discredit your shame or pretend like it's not happening to you, but Jesus says, yes, I know you have shame, but find your worth in me instead. I wonder if sometimes we misinterpret God removing our sins as far as the east is from the west as God being totally ignorant to our shame. When we confess our shame or our sin, God doesn't forget about it. The act of confession does not erase. When we acknowledge these things before the Lord, God doesn't pick them up and carry them away so you never have to acknowledge it or work at it, or so you can pretend like nothing ever happened and that nobody was affected. That's what Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. But instead, Jesus first calls you family. Then Jesus calls you to be responsible for your shame, to live a life of discipleship. Jesus forgives and restores. Jesus looks at you and says, Zetov ma'od. It is very good. The voice of shame spoke to Jesus himself three times in the wilderness over the course of 40 days, a voice that sought to unravel, belittle, undermine, and mock, a voice that still today tries to confuse our motives and poison our progress. Jesus himself was susceptible to the devil's taunting because he was physically and mentally exhausted. I can imagine how difficult it would be to not succumb to the taunting when you're tired and hungry and worn out. You remember that story with me. This is the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert for 40 days by Satan. Jesus was worn out. The psalmist, among many things, was worn out, too, from shame and sin. Hear the psalmist's testimony of surrender. When I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Traditionally, it is David who offers up this psalm after his affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. God stays with David. God's hand is heavy upon him, encouraging him to surrender the burden. God is so close that God touches David. I can imagine God whispering to him, I know what you did, David. Just come back to me. I don't have to throw you away to make you new because you are completely redeemable, just like that. Our Heidelberg Catechism acknowledges that we are absolutely righteous before God, defined by God, not by shame, because of God's work in us. Indeed, this is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Question and answer number 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is my favorite of the bunch, asks this question. How are you righteous before God? How are you righteous before God? And here's the response only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ— as if I had never sinned or been a sinner. As if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. Hear this part. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Friends, Jesus sees you and calls you brother, sister, sibling, family. All you need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. If you're the type to write out New Year's resolutions, like myself, I encourage you to put live unashamed at the top of the list. Believe the good news that Jesus Christ, the pioneer of our salvation, looks at you, sees you, and is not ashamed. Would you pray with me? God, today we stand amazed that you look at us and see what was accomplished through Jesus. Because of our Savior, we are redeemed from shame. For those of us struggling with shame as we head into a new year, give us an extra measure of grace with ourselves, courage to come to you with it. Help us to learn to define ourselves as your children over this next year. God, give us love, give us grace, give us strength. May we outdo one another and showing honor. In your holy name we pray. Amen.